When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast. So this week we had hoped to have Dr. K right over there, but unfortunately his flight arrived late, so you've got me. I had intended- And me. And Henry. <laughs> I'd intended to share a lot of this in a week or two when it was more developed, but I'll give you what I have now. So ever since the conversation with Dr. K and a number of other ones that we'd had, I'd gotten interested in men's issues as well as mental health and had done some reading on archetypes, including some of Joseph Campbell's work. Uh, he's the guy, Hero with a Thousand Faces, who does the hero's journey. And so I watched a ton of stuff on that and got fed these rabbit holes of men's issues, archetypes, Jungian stuff. And so here's some interesting things that I took. One of them comes from a guy named Chris Bale. And he's got this idea that when, uh, well, in our society, we, know, we all kind of know that female sexuality is uh, aggressively controlled, patrolled, deemed shameful. We slut shame. We have words for the ways in which we alienate women from their sexuality. We don't have those words for men. And his contention, which I agree with, is that men are at least as much um, distanced from their sexuality. The difference being that with men, male sexuality is deemed unsafe, dangerous. Uh, and if you think back, if you are a guy, to growing up, he points out that little boys have their hands down their pants, as do little girls, you know, some of the time. They touch all the different parts of their bodies. They touch their head, they touch their knees, they touch their elbows, and they touch their pee-pee, right? It can act for little kids as a sense of comfort to, like, explore and know one's body. But at some point, they're told, don't do that anymore. Of course, the same thing occurs with little girls. What is different in young men is that when you hit puberty and you start to... Uh, get erections and you can't control them. There is like a broadcast that goes out. I don't know that anybody ever sat me down and told me this, but I picked it up definitely that you do not want to be seen with an erection through your sweatpants or whatever the heck you're wearing in junior high school. And there's no class on it, but it's not like you learn to control your level of arousal and be with it and allow it to move through you. What you learn are the old cliches of like, think of baseball. And I guess I heard that once. And literally, I would watch the baseball diamond if I ever had an erection in middle school. And I was like, 
Batter hits it to short. Short stomp to second. Turns two. Goes <laughs> I swear to God, dude. I swear to God. Was it a double play that got you out of the bonus? Double plays. It was always complex plays. It was like, oh, oh, he's just going to go back to second. He's tagging up. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, what that is, is a distraction. And uh, concretely, you learn to disconnect from whatever it was that made that happen in you. Right. So it could have been a breeze. Heck, it's middle school. It could have been a thought or a person. But you learn to uh, among, you know, guys are probably uh, you had a million tricks in order to handle this. But you learn to disconnect from that experience, which is occurring in and around your groin area. And the only time that you are able to reconnect with that is during sex. And then for a lot of men, he points out that um it's like a very localized area of pleasure. Whereas women, when, and not all women, women struggle with this as well um, for similar reasons, can have orgasms that seem to like roll through their whole body, right? For men, it's this localized um, tension, tension, tension release that occurs. And he contends that that is not how it has to be, which, which a lot of people talk about. And that it is, in fact, not healthy and has a number of adverse effects other than simply not having full body orgasms. That the disconnection from your groin leads to, uh, well, let's just say, for example, when you're, even when I think back to the early days of Charisma on Command, the way that uh, I would feel and men would feel around women, they would feel this attraction towards them, but they would come up out of their bodies into their heads and it would be, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? What do I say? And the way that we dealt with that was by like, here's some of the things that you can say. Here's some of the things that your mind can grab onto so that you can have this interaction uh, go well. And hopefully you can stay so freaked out for the first interaction, but then you can get a second date where you can calm down a little bit and you can be with her. And sometimes you didn't calm down till after several dates and you're in a relationship and it's only after six months that you meet one another in a relationship because you finally have settled down enough that you're not just in your head thinking what would be nice for me to say or what will make her like me, but you are being yourself. And then you get relationship conflict because now you're not being this version of you that is constantly checking what would be the best thing to say, but both parties are being who they are. And then there's conflict because they weren't that person at the beginning of the relationship. Um, Additionally, there's... Uh, in, I th- believe it's traditional Indian medicine, there's this idea of chakras. And you don't have to believe in chakras or any of that. But the basic idea is that for these seven points, they're associated with different energies or feelings you can think of that you might have in your body. Some of them that I know you won't disagree with, no matter your level of spirituality, is that your heart chakra is where a lot of the love is felt. And so when you're in a relationship, it can feel like your heart is expanding. Or when you see something, that it can feel that it's pulled towards your heart. Your throat chakra can feel like self-expression. When you're choked up and you can't speak, that is not something that you necessarily feel at the the crown chakra. It's something that you feel in your throat. Mm. And so the ones that are associated with your groin area, there's two of them. The lowest one is called the root chakra. It's at the base of your spine, traditionally associated with the bladder, the anus, all those kinds of things. And it has to do with safety. Now, if you think of what happens with animals, children, or even adults, when they feel really unsafe, maybe in wartime, is they lose control of their bowels and bladder. They pee themselves or they poot themselves or they, you know, are really constricted down there. Um, The second one up from that is your sacral chakra, which has to do with your reproductive organs, your prostate, uh, 
and is the seat of pleasure, right? So one of the things that gay men often say is that they are capable of having more intense orgasms because they get prostate stimulation because they're having anal sex versus straight men, uh, most of whom are very, very afraid of anything going in their butt or any sort of stimulation to their prostate which is a, a place of like tremendous potential pleasure. Mm. So you're cut off. If, if this area is a no-go for you, meaning you've learned to disconnect from it, it's not okay to feel, which is sort of what's trained over the course of your life. And certainly it would be, can you imagine if there was an adult man with his hand down his pants? Yeah, yeah. Not, not even touch it, but just like in the same way that somebody might go like this, just not aggressively, just We have laws Existing, that. yeah. And so this is, I was going to make a different point, but I'll say this. He raises the issue of like, we're fine with somebody touching their elbow. We're fine with somebody touching their head. Like, what if an adult, without aggressing on anybody or, or, or masturbating or anything, had their hand down their pants and they were seen? Their sexuality wasn't coming out and hurting anyone, but the mere fact of connection with that would feel creepy, wrong, aggressive, because we don't have the sense that any adult, but men especially, I think, can have contact with their sexual experience and be safe for other people. That you could do that and not, and maybe be really attracted to someone on the other end of the room, but not impose that experience on them, right? That you could contain that in your own being. Uh, And I don't know how he'd like to organize society, but it raises a really interesting question, which is, when, as an adult, you go and you speak to someone that you're attracted to, from where are you speaking? Mm. And it's not what he would, he would suggest that it's like, are you speaking from your groin, your stomach, your heart, your throat, and your head, your whole body? Or are you from here up? And I think almost everybody in almost every interaction is from here up. You're interacting with my thoughts, my neuroses, my fears, my ideas about myself, but you're not getting a fully embodied experience of me, which is safely in contact with my own sexual attraction that I might feel when I'm approaching someone. So does this guy have any, um, does he say touch your nuts more or? So yes, that's what he says. Okay. (laughs) So he's not saying it, do it in public, but just to complete the thought is, you know, can the idea that you could be safe while feeling sexual charge is not common. And then he says, okay, so if you can't feel sexual charge, that's your life force. That's your connection to creativity. This isn't just going to influence your sex life negatively. This is going to negatively impact you knowing who you are at a deep level. You're going to constantly be thinking about who you are. What would be the best thing for me to say? What would be the best career for me to have? And these are going to be questions, but they're not going to spontaneously emerge from the depths of your being, which requires embodied feeling. And and these words might not mean a lot to other people, but um, in my experience this is very true. The things that surge up from within you about what you want in your life, what career would be best, if this relationship is right for you, when it feels like they're just coming from you playing out scenarios in your head and imaginings, those are those to me have been fragile and less trustworthy, even though you're running the pros and cons list and it can feel very rational. Yeah, The disconnection of like, what comes up is like, I want to be an astronaut or, you know, like there's, there's some, there's some deep wisdom when you can connect with your body about the, how you should move in the world, who is right for you, what is right for you, what is not right for you. 
Um, so you lose that connection, you lose your creativity, you lose all these things. So how do you reconnect? He does meant like just touch yourself. And the way that most men touch themselves is they get, they masturbate, they get an intense experience and it's released. And it's like almost the goal is there's this charge that is felt in this area and I need to empty that. Like as the charge builds up, it feels overwhelming so quickly because there's such a level of disconnection that you get men who compulsively masturbate or, um, you know, rush to finish in sex or the whole point of sex is about the finishing part of sex and the preceding thing is like can't just be ridden and experienced and be a pleasurable feeling that sort of moves through your body. Sex becomes this aggressive, hard act that is about its climactic moment, Mm. Um, which is not just how men are, but is, is a way of culturally... That, that we've been, sort of been culturally conditioned to yeah. be. And so I thought that's interesting. His solutions are broadly, you know, you could do Qigong, you could do things to connect you with your body, but it is bringing your attention and sometimes your hands because your hands can direct attention. I mean, you can think of what it feels like in your hand or you can touch your hand and it brings a different level of awareness mm. to that. So, is, so in the privacy of your own home, uh, touching yourself without masturbating, is one of the things he suggests. He also suggests semen retention, <laughs> which is like similar to the NoFap thing, which I don't, I've not really been into NoFap in the past. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, the the ways that I've heard NoFap described are generally, I lack motivation. I lack the desire to talk to women. I'm living purely in a world of fantasy and I need to not do any of that in order to reconnect with the world. And that wasn't my issue, so I didn't connect with that mm. as much. Um, but his discussion about you're losing contact with your the depth of your creativity, you're losing full, that that speaks to me more. So I find it interesting, and I'll test it out for yeah. a period of time. I certainly feel the same with the disconnection and learning. I mean, the baseball diamond, I've got, yeah. I think of dead people. Like, Is that what you do? <laughs> like, yeah, it's just immediately gone. Uh, but yeah... <laughs> And then I just immediately am turned on. <laughs> and then I can't help myself. I just walk around eighth grade just thinking of dead people with a giant erection. Um, I felt the same when you told me this, uh, that women are also disconnected. Yes. Uh, everyone's sort of disconnected with that part of their body. I'm glad we got to get back to touching our nuts, dude. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought of, which is, okay, so you have all of these people with men and women with a lack of groin consciousness, lack of groin awareness, except for these particular times in their life. And what I see, when you think about safety, it it occurred to me in a breath work that most people are deeply unsafe in the world. They feel deeply, deeply unsafe. They, if you take one relationship away from them, somebody dumps them, somebody doesn't want to be their friend, somebody dies, they don't just grieve they would absolutely panic. And there is a difference, like, between, um, and I think you might have felt both of this when Lady died, which is there's the grief on the one hand, there's the loss, but there's also the panic about who am I Mm. that is raised. And if you don't have contact with your butt, your sacral chakra, and what comes from that, he says, is like, because this is your lowest energy center, it's what connects you to your legs, your feet, and therefore the ground and if you've heard discussions of grounding or this feeling of being supported by the earth, um, I can tell you that since I've felt more of it in the last couple of months, 
it is the ultimate provider of safety is you just like you feel the stability of the ground beneath you but if you don't and you're not really conscious of your legs and you're not really conscious of your groin and you're mostly just conscious of your thoughts there's a felt sensation of like i'm just blowing in the wind up here like i'm i am not safe in this place yeah and you got to come up with all these mind games to get safe yes and rather than the felt sense of like i'm safe and then the thoughts kind of disappear about something yes or whatever the anxiety is coming up in here yes um yeah and so i think of you know friends family people that i know and the uh and myself to a degree and the level of unsafety is just so high and then you know in traditional thought while you can of course work on different energy centers it's called the root chakra it's the base for a reason because if you're not safe how are you really going to get honest self-expression like if you don't feel safe imagine somebody's got a gun to your head and they you know tell me the truth about x y or z <laughs> it's you'll say anything incapable. about x y you'll say anything okay um feel into your heart but you're not safe in the like those things can't really be done and so the foundational nature of um your groin your the base of your spine grounding all of that stuff it just it struck me as a pretty missing piece for a lot of people who are trying to build on a unsturdy foundation that is not safe in the world and the way that they get safe is they attach themselves and i relate to other people and then they convince themselves that their safety comes through that attachment with this other person. But all that needs to be revealed to expose the level of unsafety is what would happen if that person left them in one way or another. And I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've been this panic. Like yeah. Legitimate. The fear would be and then realized. And then how would they manage that panic? I've seen this I in mean, myself. I mean, I visualized people. what it looks like for you to panic. Yeah. It's all up in the head too. Yeah. It's like just head games of trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to get back to safety. Frantic action, yeah. convincing yourself that things that aren't true are true. Whatever is required to get back to a sense of safety. Unfortunately, people don't go looking at their root chakra. They're not doing Qigong. They're not doing Qigong. They go and attach themselves to something else. And oftentimes they attach themselves to something else that is as unsafe as they feel. Someone else who matches their level of unsafety because that's the only type of person that is going to tolerate their mm. level of anxiety. And then they become a perfect anxiety match for one another, right? So you, that's why you get the avoidant and the anxious person who are together because at some level they feel equally unsafe in relationships, but they form this uh this bond with yeah. one another yeah so i thought that, that that was just interesting stuff anything else you want to uh no just that i can definitely relate to being disconnected from that part of my body and then can remember the moments of growing up where they're just like get your hands out of your pants <laughs> just like oh shit okay yeah. um pretty young too and really young yeah really young i don't know what's to be done but you could imagine what if this wasn't bad all right, what if you stepped outside of your cultural, not you or listener, outside of the cultural assumptions that you have? I always think of like part ancient of Greece of, for these situations. It's like, uh -huh. what were they doing back then? Or like uh, <laughs> the Egyptians. It's just like mm -hmm. a different view on sexuality and masculinity and femininity. And uh, yeah, it's culturally new to say 
I mean, these people were in cloths. Like, <laughs> I mean, for certainly for the, a long time in human history, uh, even before Egypt and Greece, there was, yeah. And uh, while you were talking, remind me of that chimp uh, documentary because of like all the social dynamics that go through chimps and like they groom each other's nuts and yeah. it's like, uh, <laughs> they don't care. It's like nothing until the moment of like the sexual arousal and, and like yeah. don't learn everything. It's not <laughs> yeah. a ton you could pull out of the, the chimp documentary, but like uh, the one was like, it's just another area that you groom yeah for the most part and then second like other areas are more important like if you if the one chimp gets to groom the higher status alpha mm-hmm. near the face and he looks at him it's like the sunshine he's like yeah. formed a new alliance and so like do you remember the like the one chimp was trying to groom the guy and yeah. he just had his back to him the whole time and then he he was like are you gonna do me he's like no and he just <laughs> left <laughs> yeah i remember um which is just interesting because i think that that occurs at a smaller degree with humans. It like gives you insight to. So we should be picking the lice off of each other's. Yeah, lice. if you're going to give compliments to someone, he goes, "Oh, thanks, appreciate that," and he bounces. He's like, "Yeah, you guys, you form rapport or, or friendship right there, friend." The uh, I don't know if this is connected, but it just occurred to me for some reason that there's also this level of you think of the parts of the body that people are most disgusted by. It's the butt. Maybe Gen Z changes, <laughs> but it's the groin, the butt, and the feet are mm-hmm. often the things that disgust people the most. And it's like, wow, it's those low to the ground things. It's 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 the most animal parts of us that we cannot like. You're not your feet are going to touch the ground. They're going to get dirty. Like your butt is the part that you're uh, eliminating from. And there is this, uh, yeah, disgust that people feel around that. Not that they need to start doing all kinds of crazy sex acts, but that that could be examined, I think, and lead to some fruitful reconnection. Yeah, for sure. So I also watched Joseph Campbell's, uh, what was his name, Pat Moyer, conversation with with Pat Moyer. And he got a couple of quotes. I'll just read you some of them that I Who's that I Pat liked. Moyer? He's a guy from PBS, just a- Oh, just an interviewer? They did six hours of interview. Wow. Before he died. Joseph Campbell, Hero with a Thousand Faces- and the hero's journey. So one of the quotes that you, I think he cited Jung here, but which is one of the main functions of organized religion is to protect people against a direct experience of God. I thought that that was appropriate because he looks at myths and the religions that surround them and how depending on the culture, there is a direct experience of nature as God or of some sort of relationship with God. And then as you get into the progress of the West, we see this mediated experience with God through the priest class, through something else. And he talks about, for instance, the Native Americans saw God everywhere. God was in the bones of the buffalo. God was in the river. God was in the sky. And it was impossible not to... It was also an intimate experience that wasn't uh, transacted through a third party. It was a direct experience of it every day versus churches you got to come here you got to go through this guy and through him he will give you the eucharist you know and and that will be your conduit to it which i thought was well i guess you could also get in prayer intimately but that's an interesting thing that there's a decider of Mm -hmm. the the words and if i look at the things that i want to actually bring into my life and the things that i want to leave uh, because i i lumped them all together i think prayer is awesome Mm -hmm. i think i think Prayer is fantastic. Some sort of, where whoever you think you're talking to, your higher self, just yourself, God, that's beautiful. And the things that I 
want to get away from are the mediated ideologies and uh, it's not just the ritual because I think that there's value to ritual, but it's somebody else telling me what to think. What to think. <laughs> what about suggestions? Which How do you feel about suggestions? Oh, I love suggestions. I mean, this gets back to the problem. You have a problem with authority, God being told. No, I love suggestions. And I've. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. So I've actually, I spent a lot of time getting suggestions from Joseph Campbell and other people. Gotcha. That was not my experience of religion. Gotcha. It was was not a suggestion. This is open to this, do this, sit, stand. There was no suggestion. Stand if you feel, sing if you feel. It was (laughs) do as I say (laughs) the whole time. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Campbell says this. They're talking about meditation. He says, all of life is a meditation. Most people spend it meditating on where their money's coming from and where it's going to go. But that's a form of meditation, (laughs) which I thought was interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. And And what is the implication of that when when your life is spent meditating on the things that you spend it meditating on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He talked about a number of different traditions. One was the Japanese Shinto religion, which that they have these mirrors in the Shinto temples that are supposed to reflect the deity. And of course, the mirror reflects you. So there's this idea in a number of different things that the divine is inside of the person and it's in uh, coming to connect with the divine inside of you and therefore the, design, the divine and others and the divine wow. and everything, which I, I, I like that a lot. Um, the Oracle at Delphi has, it seems narcissistic at first, but I can see how if the like intention is to look past oneself Mm -hmm. through how it could be, I mean, you get a narcissist in there. He's like (laughs) showing off his muscles. (laughs) Yeah. And, and Joseph Campbell is of course, with all of these reading into, and this might not be how this is, but the idea that he reads is that the world is a mirror and this is just an, an intense the world reflects you back to you, you yeah. know, and if you see divinity in there, you, you need to see divinity being reflected back at you um, so that the mirror was a really important thing. This guy was deep. Temples. Joseph Campbell's great, yeah. Talks about the Oracle of Delphi, which is the Greek uh, religion. If you remember 300, he has to go to the Oracle before he is able to <laughs> go yeah, take yep. his 300 soldiers. And outside of the entrance, I don't know if it was a cave or a thing, it, it's had in Greek, know thyself was amongst two others i don't remember them but know thyself was the primary commandment and you see that repeated which is this idea of the mirror know thyself right the oracle of delphi telling you instructing you to self-reflection which i thought was very interesting and that of course being as i talked about earlier yeah knowing that knowing yourself beyond the stories you tell there's all these exercises that i've done in the past which is like describe yourself without using uh, any be verbs. Describe yourself without burning any do verbs. So depending on where you are in personal development, 
you might be like, I'm a good friend, I'm a brother, I am Charlie, I'm whatever. And they'll be like, no, 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 that's not what you are. You are what you do. So you have to say, I pick my friends up at the airport. You can't claim that you're a good friend. You have to do the good friend things. And that focuses you on behaviors, which is, okay, fine, valuable for a time, but it doesn't like the M's. And then other ones will tell you, who are you, right? Focus on what you are. And I think that the injunction and the mirror is some of the most powerful Pay attention. What do you what do you see, feel? Who are you? It's Mufasa in the sky. Remember who you are. Mm. It's type lessons which I which I connect with. And then I did some archetype stuff. Did some research, did some reading. And if you watched previous episodes, there's one King Warrior Magician Lover was a book that talks about some of the four big male archetypes. I did a lot of work with the king, which I'm not going to talk about now because it I feel like it's still in flux and I, and I don't want to I'd rather just talk about it in a few weeks but I can tell you what I learned with warrior stuff um, so when I looked I was I did a breath work I was like what's going on with my warrior I saw a Viking berserker <laughs> nice dude Skarsgård Skarsgård from the Norseman and had this sense that uh, I have a reactive have had a reactive warrior pattern, which is can be bloodthirsty. Yeah, you, you don't hurt have a, me, I hurt you. You don't level. have a knight ready at stand with armor and an, a sword waiting for his command. You have yeah. a, a berserker. A berserker. Who he's is the, not wearing clothes, he has an axe, <laughs> and there's blood on his face, and he's just there. If you, if you engage my reactivity... I will look to wound back that that level, and you know what has my warrior been doing? Because I don't That's I don't sweet. go to the gym and bust my ass. I don't have that Ronin drive that I see on Instagram. I'm you know what's going on with mine, and I feel that my warrior has been doing some of that, but also has been, and this is where the king comes in. I'll talk in the future. Fighting God and fighting reality wishing things weren't the way they were, trying to make now be the future, trying to make now be the past, just like in combat with the way things are. And that drive looked like, I don't want to be in consulting. I'm going to go start a business. And there was, of course, value to this in my life. So I'm going to go start Charisma on Command. And I don't like my dating. Like, I don't like the way things are. But if you sick a berserker on never liking the way things are that that to me has gotten exhausting in my life it's just that that's like the it's not okay type feeling so well, I is, feel, his is his energy getting um repetitive is it waning is it just not serving you but he's still berserking it's just where he's been i'm like why how come you don't show up in the gym <laughs> <laughs> yeah no he does not Fuck, like lifting he doesn't give a shit he's like Dude, i'm fucking Killing the world. Killing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I was feeling into what feels like a more mature wave for that. And for some reason, I was called towards samurai culture. I don't know why. I don't know a ton about it. And then I started reading up on samurai culture a little bit. So I read a book called Bushido, which was written at the turn of whatever, turn of the 20th century, which is 1899 um, by a guy from Japan. And there were some things that stood out to me, which is that in his explanation of samurai and bushido culture which is sort of the moral code that informed that era of several hundred years of samurai culture at its best the idea that ethical embodied knowledge over intellectual book smarts 
which has been very opposite for me. I've been like very book smart in my whole life, but probably uh, very much lacking in street smarts. Mm. And my ethical knowledge is heady instead of heartfelt and acted out. So like I give the charity because it, I did the math and you, you're supposed to. How does it look to. for the samurai? Is he like, you know, notches on the sword that he doesn't speak about that are like kills or wins or something? Like what is it? How is it emblematic in the book that he has a felt? That his, uh, that he sort of moves around. His word is his bond. He doesn't need to sign a piece of paper. Mm. When he speaks, it's as good as done. Mm. That I think another thing, and, and you see both sides of it, is the idea of honor. And so you, he describes both. There's like honor at its best, which is what I really want and admire, which is a deep trust in one's own internally generated code. And then there's honor, which I would describe as not what I want, but I see that in, in some Asian cultures, which is honor as your reputation amongst others. Yeah, yeah. And so he describes two stories of samurai, which are almost the opposite of one another. And so here's the first story. The first story is, and these are apocryphal, they may not have really happened, but they were tales that people would tell, that a samurai, his master is killed by this guy, and so he trains to be able to kill him in return. And he does what he needs to do, gets to him, knocks him over, is about to kill him, and the guy, and the guy who he's about to kill spits at his face. And at that moment, he sheathes his sword and walks away. And the question is, why did he do that? And the answer is that if he had killed him in that moment, it would have been in anger. Mm. And there's, it wouldn't have been justice, is the sense. Is that the samurai is not there as a berserker to hurt and exchange violence for violence. That there is a, which I'm reading into this a little bit, there is a way to be lovingly violent, to understand that in this world, some things are at odds with one another. And you do not have to hate or want to hurt something in order to put an end to it. And I think that while I'm not engaged in war, this, I was like, oh, this is why I struggle with firing people. Because I don't know how to be lovingly decisive and cut things off and say, this is not right. I'm going to act swiftly with clarity and love without any desire in my heart to hurt at all. And the reason I don't fire is because like, I must want to hurt. I must be hurting you. I must like, why would I do this to you? I haven't known how to manage that. So I just try to make everything a win-win, everything copacetic, everything has to work that way. And I think that there is value to the, like the warrior energy of some things cannot coexist in this reality in this way it does not mean i hate them it does not mean uh it means that i know what needs to be done in order to live by my code uh and i found that powerful uh, that story also affects me in a different way i found that he could be um that the way he walked away after getting spit on his face is not honorable either that he could honorably kill him in that moment is just now he's just trying to be perceived as honorable because the guy spit, spit in his face. That's why he walked away. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it still could just be perceived as the Only other. Only he knows. Only he knows is what Only I'm saying. Only he knows. Yes. Yes. So if he did it to make a show so that other people thought, again. Would tell the story. To tell the, the story, 
You're totally right. Got it. And so it's the whole thing of a samurai, not the whole thing, but a big part was self-possession. So the, it was, are you in, I, you know, I hesitate to say control, but they were about control of emotions, which I think can go deeper than simply disconnecting. So they describe one of the things that was really amazing about samurai that they looked on and honored was when in the face of mortal danger, they could compose a poem. And so there was a guy who was you know, pursuing one and he was about to land him and he, he recited a couplet to him of, you know, now the days are short and you are about to fall. Sweet. <laughs> and the guy responded, if but I'd seen how short they were before. You Sick. Know, and he doesn't kill him. And he, he just, you know, he bowed because... <laughs> the true, true samurai honor. <laughs> true samurai. It's, oh, like game-recognized game, game type, type situation. So I don't know that I, I get all that, but it was this idea of self-possession, of even in the moments where you come up and freak out and, and give in to your freaky, total instinctive to have your capacities with you, to remain grounded, to, to, to make friends with death in a way that you were able to live up until those, until you're gone. Yeah, that's also the imagery that I get from Western culture's idea of samurais, which is like mm-hmm. they also draw yes. sweeping motions and yes. calligraphy. And then they don't cheat their sword unless they're absolutely going to use it. And it's quick and decisive. That's another There's not piece. battling with, ja, ja. I mean, there is in some of the movies, but it's like ninja. It's, mm-hmm. it's decisive. Decisive is, I think, a powerful. It's, it's not wanton violence. It's not to make a show of things. It's to end things. At least this is what I want to think. I'm not even interested in commenting on what was or wasn't true about Samurai. It's, the archetype is what I find valuable. Yeah. The story and how it resonates with me. So it, if none of this is true, it actually doesn't change how I feel, which is I feel connection. Like that would be a good energy for me to move into, which is loving decisiveness to cut things off. An ability to be the loving part is big to recite a poem while you're doing it. <laughs> yes, and then and then the story of bad honor, or in my opinion, bad honor is uh, samurai is walking with a peasant, and the peasant comments that a fly has landed on his armor, and he turns around and cuts him in half. The he cuts the peasant in half. Yeah, and so there was both of these rage. There's stories of these rageful, totally about what other people think of me. Do not dismirch my name. And then there's other stories of people who get their name is drugged through the mud and they do not care. They mm. are, they are, know who they are. And I thought that it was interesting that both of them are these tales that were told about samurai. Uh, both may have been true of different individuals, obviously, but for me, it's clear which one. You are. You're going to kill not, a guy. Which, which, it, which one I'd like to be. There's a fly on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the samurai. I like the own code of honor thing. And then, yeah, we could talk about some of the other stuff. The uh, the last two things, which is about knowing what you want, imagining that you want somebody else's life, was Nikola Jokic saying. <laughs> oh, winning the finals. Winning the finals, being the best player for three years in a row, should have gotten MVP, MVP again. When you ask me, what do you want to do? I want to play NBA. I want to be in the basketball i want to be mvp there's he's like that guy so online they were playing back-to-back um like slides of kevin durant being anything is possible as he wins the <laughs> nba finals you know dream come true he's screaming and then they interview uh Jokic, and it's just like he got out of the grocery store and they asked him what he picked up you know what i mean like, yeah i got you know carrots and just it's a job but that's what he I'll says i'll go home now so he says he's talking about it and they ask him and he says well nobody likes their job yeah which I thought was 
all he wants to do is go home and ride on his horses. He, I think he probably likes basketball, but feels it as a job. And that struck me as like, oh my gosh. The, of course, external circumstances have some importance, but this guy is living one of the most common dreams of young boys on the planet and would probably prefer to not have to, would like to <laughs> just ride his horses. And the thing that he wants to do does not require anywhere near as much money or fame or status as he has. Like he's got his horse farm. That's not, that was, that was achievable with far less than the NBA money that he had. And I found that instructive and interesting and to remind myself of just when you're surrounded by people that want to be important, want to make a difference, want to do that kind of stuff. And that's what you see, I think, primarily produced by content creators is people that want to be seen. Uh, it's very useful to see someone at the absolute top of the mountain just go. He's got his priorities in order. He loves his family he and just he wants, wants to, to go home and hang out with his, his, his so horses. Cool. And it's like, oh and my he gosh. Plays video games. I think it greatly serves him on the court too because when you treat it like a job, it's something that you go and do. Mm-hmm. And he never is the type of guy who's too high or too low. And so he's always got this the most efficient shot in the last 10 years is a Nikola Jokic post up which is just like, how is that possible? He's shooting hook shots. This shouldn't be that easy. How does he have such great touch? He's not high or low. He's doing his job at like, mm-hmm. like, um, like you might clear email. It's just routine. And the guy can bump you and he can say bad things to you. You can have a bad day, but you're just going through the motion. And I felt that and winning at getting the highest honor is the same as when you lose a game. It's not the biggest deal. He's still going to go home with his family and race horses. <laughs> was Tim Duncan like that? Was he even Yeah, feel? Tim Duncan was similar. Because uh, there are there are maniacs as well. And I would say there are more maniacs that achieve at the highest levels than there are. Yeah, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. Kobe every Bryant, story Michael, is yeah. them making up stuff that someone besmirched their name. Yes. Bad honor. And then they have to go destroy them. Yeah. And then you find out years later, he made it up in his head and then told all the papers, <laughs> which is like... What I take is, which one do I want to be? And it's, yeah, I don't want to run around with a chip on my shoulder trying to prove something. I Like, I want to figure out my horses and figure out work that is meaningful to me and do that and not just strive for the biggest thing. And the other one was that submersible that it might have just exploded the the titan that went under water it might but there was all a time. the news says is, it, is it's imploded but it raises a deep philosophical question there was a time when i was going oh my god there are five people under two miles of water trapped with each other in a tiny little space and that, that got grabbed me for some reason and one of the things that i thought was that zen parable of these people have had incredible lives there's a billionaire son in that in that thing tragically and not not tragic because he's a billionaire son, because he's a person. But the idea of you know, do you want to be a billionaire son? And then finding out that do you want to go here? And then finding out that that means potentially spending your last three four days with low oxygen, freezing in a tube. Just reminded me of the Zen parable of we will see. You know when? Do you know that one? No. It's the boy gets a uh, the boy gets a horse. Everyone in the village claps. Says, this is amazing. The, uh, they go to the village elder. The village elder says, oh, we'll see. The horse runs away. Everyone says, oh, I'm so sorry. The village elder says, I don't know. We'll see. 
horse comes back. It brings a whole oh, stable right. of things. Oh, it's amazing. So we'll see. We'll see. The boy falls off the horse, breaks, breaks his, arm. his arm. We'll see. There's a war. He the doesn't, boy have, to doesn't have to go to the war because he's got a broken arm. Everyone says, "How good for you!" And the villager says, "We'll see." Just that you, that that you don't know what life is a totality. You can enjoy moments of it, but when you start thinking that you understand it, that you've got it, that you know what is good and what is bad, you've lost it a little bit. And I am trying. This is with some of the other stuff to open up to to sincerely allowing in and I've had a relatively easy life to do this with so I'm not recommending it for other people at this point but the the actual idea that everything is happening for me and that even the things that I don't want are happening for me and that would have to include were it me being in a submersible for five days under underground in order to I don't know I, I wouldn't know why this was happening for me I'll be honest if that if that were my lot and there's been times in my life where I go how could this possibly be good for me or what I want. And I can't say that I've yet seen through to all of them. No, I haven't found the enlightenment being in that situation. What I can say is that I've seen a pattern of pain. This is, I'll talk about in a few weeks. As the ultimate teacher, pain, pain is the ultimate teacher. And also as the more pain that I've experienced, the more capable of love that I've become, Mm -hmm. I find. And, not saying that that's what anybody in hard experiences. I'm not trying to tell you that I need to voice that upon you or that you need to find the silver lining in anything. But I, that has just been true in my life without even forcing it to be true. Um, those lessons continue to come to me as I let pain in that I find more compassion, more love, and more pain. <laughs> and yeah, more depth of feeling. Yeah, and I think in our culture, it's uh, looked at as bad as to be in pain, emotionally speaking. You know, no pain, no gain is fine for the gym. Mm-hmm. But emotionally speaking, uh, you're not supposed to show people you're in pain. You're supposed to actively avoid it, go to your phone, uh, disconnect from the body parts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying there's pain going on there, but there's a well, large there portion. Is with, of- with that stuff. That's the okay. part of the implication of that guy's work is that you will find aches, pains, physical sensations of loss and grief in those disconnected body parts. Yeah. So that that's, that's one of the ways in which I've, you're not necessarily just with that, but opened up to body pain, which is connected to emotional pain oftentimes. Yeah. 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 And the opening to it doesn't mean just, you know, acknowledging it. It means really letting it be without trying to fix, heal it and create like the bigger, the pain, the more space you have to have to experience it. And yeah, are you, I have become, I feel like, more spacious over time in my capacity. So th- that that was, I don't know what else to say about the submersal. It's, it's, we played Would You Rather for a long time yeah. after it, which is yeah. like, would you rather be a billionaire, but that at the end of your life you have to die in a submersible? Mm-hmm. I said, how old am I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because at 19, that poor child, Yeah. at 85, it's like... Just lay down. Just... uh Tell everyone you're going to die. Yeah. Well, I don't have much more to say about that. I didn't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on. Would you rather? <laughs> no, I don't have anything. Cool. Um, like I said, a lot of the stuff was I, I pulled together just last minute, so I hope that you found it interesting. We will have, hopefully, we'll have Destiny, who still is scheduled, and then Nomad Capitalist, who is still scheduled, and potentially Dr. K. We'll see if we get that in the next three podcasts. So I hope you guys enjoyed this one. We'll see you with guests the next time. Peace. Peace.
Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.